several Easter's ago, b before planting Oak Church, I, I was an associate pastor at the Gathering Church, and associate pastor, the role, like the job description, and I wish I even had a job description, uh, was basically do a little bit of everything, um, including very amateur graphic design. So a few Easter's ago, I had this task. I was charged to, to make a postcard for church for Easter, something you'd hand to someone and say, come celebrate Easter with us, celebrate Christ's resurrection. I was up for the challenge, and I started to sort through some good imagery. I'm kind of, in a lot of ways, a visual person. I was trying to think of a good way to communicate, something that was, that was punchy but, but honest and faithful. Um, my brainstorming went through like typical imagery, like the empty tomb, because apparently when someone sees an empty tomb, they, they know what that means now. Um, and one theologian says that, that actually that Christians don't believe in an empty tomb, but in a risen Christ. Uh, subtle, but pretty important. Uh, I went through like eggs and bunnies, and that was, seemed pretty trite. Um, and some of the bunnies really terrifying. And then, uh, you know, I, I, I then went kind of literary, and, and I don't mean like high literary, I mean like, like Tupac talking about roses growing up from concrete. <laughs> and, and then I started thinking about the, that rose bush at my house that my mom, on one trip up here, uh, backed over with the car three times, and that rose still rose and, and flourished. Then you can see my, my string of thought. Then I started thinking about that resurrection fern that I had heard about, like on this little NPR thing, that it can lose like 97% of its water and still live, you know? Um, and then I started thinking about, I, I had seen this picture on the internet of some place in Raleigh where there's this, this telephone pole and telephone lines, and the kudzu had grown up, and they call it kudzu Jesus. And I was like, that is our card right there, kudzu Jesus. <laughs> And that got vetoed, and Jeff, <laughs> Jeff knows that. <laughs> While each of these images really captured hope and, and potential for new life, they, they all seemed kind of like they fell a little short. Like they, they were either too weird or esoteric or too natural, too predictable, too recurring. Too, they weren't potent enough to communicate, to capture what we're trying to say when we say that Jesus rose from the dead. All these are kind of signposts, and I think signposts are important. For instance, each morning is a resurrection signpost. Think about that. Every time you wake up, it's a resurrection signpost, and, uh, you know, especially so before you have coffee. Maybe coffee is actually the signpost for resurrection. But each morning is a resurrection signpost that light has broken into darkness and that new day has come. Uh, Bonhoeffer says that the early morning belongs to the church of the risen Christ. At the break of light, it remembers the morning on which death and sin lay prostrate in defeat and new life and salvation were given to mankind. Or maybe each Sunday is a resurrection signpost in that it represents a day set apart and helps us remember over and over and over each time uh, when Mary went to the tomb and there wasn't anyone there. And she couldn't explain that, so she just ran back to try to figure it out. Maybe each spring is a resurrection signpost. When the harshness of winter slowly thaws away and yellow pollen infects 
everything, everywhere. You get the idea. But even these signposts, none of them represent the truly revolutionary character of the new thing that happened when the Spirit raised Jesus' body to new life. Paul was dealing with this same task when he was speaking to and writing the, Corinthians, the Corinthian church. It was a pretty tall task. It was one that he would say all of his preaching hinged on. He says, if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. Useless. Futile. So he's essentially asking the Corinthian church to have all of their expectations, all their imaginations rebooted to see the world in a very different way because Jesus' body rose. Many of the Corinthian church, they grew up in kind of a, a pagan, like Greco-Roman culture that didn't esteem the body the way the Jews did and didn't look forward to these renewed bodies. But you see, as a Jew and as a Pharisee, Paul hoped for resurrection. You know, we kind of acknowledge this and distinguish this in our kids' Bible songs. I don't know if our kids sing this, but like Paul is a Pharisee, so he believed in the resurrection. If he was a Sadducee, he'd be really sad, you see, because they didn't believe that bodies rose. As a Pharisee, sorry, I had to. We can. Yeah, we're taking a request. It's a real thing. I didn't make that up. As a Pharisaic Jew, though, Paul was counting on a resurrection. The time when this world would be judged for its rebellion, oppression, sin, and God would turn it all upside down, or, or rather right side up again. Paul probably didn't quite expect, but in hindsight, his mind was blown that God had had this in store the whole time. He didn't quite expect that Jesus would pave the way for this to happen. That he'd be the, as Paul now says, the first fruits, the earliest crop. That signaled there's plenty more where that came from. In a, a future harvest, that the rest of humanity's destiny was to be raised. That Jesus would be the first of many. The one who saw all there was to see. The depths of hell and despair and sin and torment. And then broke the cycle. Reversed the logic put a wrench in the spoke of how things used to work and made a new normal, a new way to be human. Paul puts this together pretty fast and realizes the consequences of this for his audience. That believing in, that Jesus rose from the dead isn't just some sort of esoteric tag-on belief that you could take or leave, but as integral to what the good news really is. If Christ has not been raised, he says, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. That's what the, the Holy Week, Good Friday, Easter Sunday um, message is. That sin has been dealt with on the cross and has been relegated in the, des in the resurrection. Victory over sin and death is now sure. In some way, this, this almost sounds like too sci-fi to even be fiction, right? Jesus has shown us what the future looks like. No sin, no death, perfected bodies that can no longer die, and he 
pulls us forward into it as we live in this kind of jet-lagged world that goes about its business like things haven't changed, like scarcity and selfishness and lust and greed and violence and domination make sense. But Paul says, Jesus rose from the dead, so the only thing that makes sense now is resurrection. What once had infected not just all of humanity, but all of creation, has now changed and has gone, has gone viral in Christ. He writes, For since death came through one man, the resurrection of the dead also comes through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. All will be made alive. As, as one theologian puts it, Easter meets Genesis here. Easter meets Genesis. The story has found its climax by retelling the beginning in a really surprising way. The tape hasn't just been rewound and recorded over. That might be an old reference. You could do that on VHS. You can't do that on DVDs. It hasn't been recorded over, but the whole drama has been advanced. New creation has started happening in the old creation. The creator has recreated creation within creation. How about that? Can you say that a lot of times fast? This is really profound, though, right? This, this changes a lot of things on how we tend to look at things. God doesn't just wipe the slate clean and start over. He didn't do that in the macro with creation. The new Jerusalem shall come down to earth and somehow renew this old world. And he doesn't do that in the micro of our lives. In fact, he didn't do that in Jesus' life or with Jesus' body. The resurrection appearances of Jesus, which last week we went through Paul's grocery list. He talked about Peter and, and Jesus' brother. Imagine, imagine your brother showing up after the funeral, you know? He didn't do that. You know, he, he, he talks about when Jesus showed up to the 12 or 500 more, um, all of whom, some of whom were still walking around and could give an eyeball witness to this. These records show there's a strange mixture in the resurrection, a strange mixture of discontinuity, a break, and continuity, different yet, yet the same and better. Some, you know, when Jesus shows up, some mistaken Jesus for a gardener. That's really awesome. And props, Josh and Kendra. Uh, uh, some don't even recognize Jesus as they've been walking with him for several miles. They don't recognize him until he starts cooking them dinner. How cool is that? Jesus' resurrection body also possesses a, a weird ability to walk through locked doors or mysteriously disappear. This body is definitely a little different. Perhaps a, it's a newer model, like God didn't splurge for all the bells and whistles last time and now he has. But for all the ways that Jesus' resurrection body is different, some people recognize Jesus. Thomas even puts his, his hands in Jesus' scarves, his, his feet, his, his hands, his side. This renewed, imperishable body that Jesus has is certainly not flawless like we'd, we'd hope for sometimes. Sorry, guys. This, this means that we're going to live in eternity, likely without like the abs that we had that one summer in college, you know, or 
or, or that we might, you know, still have a scar from that appendectomy that we had, or like the crow's feet that y'all have been working on at Duke Gardens, you know. Yeah. But fret not these quote unquote flaws, like the flaws in Jesus' crucified body, will somehow become different too. You know, they have the chance to be trophies, badges, glories, especially if if you gain them in fidelity to God's loving mission in this world, or the good enjoyment of the Father and his gifts. Going back to picturing resurrection, I'm starting to think that a better image for the resurrection might be something a little less glorious, a little less glamorous, something that might actually be simultaneously a source of shame and glory. Simultaneously something that marks a hope for the the future and a remembrance of the past. Something mundane yet charged with expectation. Something painstakingly physical, bodily. After all, resurrection is no resurrection unless there's a body. (laughs) Perhaps a decent image for resurrection then is something like, this is weird, something like Pregnancy stretch marks, okay? How how good would that be on an Easter invitation card? Bear with me, though. Romans 8, 22 through 24 says, We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, we groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption of sonship, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved, but hope that is seen is no hope at all, for who hopes for what they already have? The whole creation groans with pains of childbirth. Evidence is a longing, a pregnant waiting for renewal, rebirth, resurrection. It lunges towards the future. But this creation also evidences that unglamorous side of birth. The way in which a body no longer fits itself. New wine and old skin, so to speak. The way skin shows scars that tell a story of new life coming in the midst of old life. New hope right in the midst of all the junk. That things can be simultaneously charged with God's grandeur and embarrassing tired, decaying, falling apart. And above all, that scars earned through the self-emptying act of forming, feeding, and parenting a little one are nothing to be ashamed of. But they're marks of, of faith, of hope, of love. If Jesus' resurrection is the, the tip of the resurrection iceberg, if our bodily future is bound up in Jesus' raised body, then we should be both challenged and helped to see all of our scars in new ways. Help to see our scars inside of Christ's scars. One female writer who just had her second child put it this way, Jesus' scars also remind us that God can redeem all wounds, no matter the cause, whether you whether your scars are the result of something good 
or something terrible, God can take your afflictions and turn them into life. If all this is the case, the way we look at the world changes. Our callings, our vocations take on a little different shape. Living in the present in light of what God did in Jesus in the past and what he's promised to do to us in the future changes. And I'm, I'm leaning on, on Dr. Begbie a little here, uh, who preached a, a couple months ago. It changes because we, we, we go into a mode of discovering. We, if, if, if the resurrection is real, as true as what happened and what will happen, we need to pay attention because resurrection is often right under our noses. Places and people we've written off, things that we see every single day, have these kind of, uh, call them to borrow another phrase, subterranean homesick blues, right? They manifest themselves in hurting ways, but they could just be the first step towards resurrection, new life. We discover. We also go into a mode of respecting. We care for the vulnerable. We care for our earth, the details, our bodies. Because there's some continuity. There's a permanence, even as things will be changed. This is why exercise matters. That's why some folks in this very church link spiritual care with body care when they gather for our holy yoga classes. This is why we eat well, not just for our bodies, but for the good earth that produces and superabundance. This is why we seek to gently and responsibly steward things by using less, by recycling, by composting, not for any other reason. And that resurrection means that these little things matter and they make us into the type of people that know resurrection. We go into a mode of developing, expecting transformation, renewal, and being part of it, joining with God in renewal, imbuing everything with potential and joining God and realizing that potential in a future that's already breaking in. That's why we can look at, you know, like our side yard, this garden is kind of a sacrament. <laughs> it's, it's a spiritual reality that also is physical. We get dirt under our nails. We participate in including people in, in cultivating and providing and nourishing. We take something raw or otherwise and we purpose it and we repurpose it for the sake of flourishing for those that God has put around us. We do this at our jobs too, whatever our jobs may be. There's no such thing as raw material, but we're all kind of makers. We do this with our families and our, our friends and our kids and our neighbors. We also take on a, a mode of healing. Healing because God has defeated sin and death and eternal life has broken in on this old age. Healing is possible. Physical, spiritual, social, relational, societal. Scars can either be marks of hurt or they can be signs of fidelity healing and loving kindness. Isaiah says in Isaiah 53, by his wounds we are healed. There's an interaction there. And in Christ, he's, we, we recognize him as the wounded healer. We find ourselves renewed and being renewed, healed and being healed. And we offer healing. 
all precisely from the sources of our woundedness. Through our histories, the things we've experienced, the awful things some of us have seen and done, we're, we're each being changed into a, a fuller, the fullest version of ourselves with all the quirks and all the gifts and all the weaknesses and all these things are being transformed. They're being transfigured into something whole, glorious. And we're, we also act in a, in a mode of anticipating. Can't help it. We're, we're, we're stuck in this in-between time. We, that's part of our witness, though, is that, that we know the future. We, we see the future. We live into the future. We're a future people. The church is a sign and it's an instrument, but it's also a foretaste of the kingdom of the resurrected king. And this can be, this can be threatening. This is insurrection to, to Caesar, whatever he looks like right now. It says that the current regime, the current power structures, they're already obsolete. <laughs> whatever power that, that Caesar yields, it's, it's already under Jesus' feet. That's why the end of, of that passage, when, when it says it's going to be subjugated to Jesus, put under his feet, is talking in language, Paul's talking in language of the Psalms. Psalm 110 says, The Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Or Psalm 8 says, What is mankind that you are mindful of them? Human beings that you care for them. You have made them a little lower than the angels and crowned them with glory and honor. You have made them rulers over the works of your hands. You put everything under their feet. This idea that, that we can anticipate um, Jesus sitting on the throne by, by wielding power well, but, but not just any power. It's that strength and weakness kind of power that Jesus showed us from the cross. And finally, our mode is, is to do all this together. We, we discover, we respect, we develop, we heal, we anticipate, and we do this together. Because our resurrected bodies are part of the resurrected body, capital B. Our fullest expression of that part is with other members. The message puts Paul's argument earlier in chapter 12 like this. It says, your body has many parts, limbs, organs, cells, but no matter how many parts you can name, you're still one body. It's exactly the same with Christ. By means of this one spirit, we all said goodbye to our partial and piecemeal lives. We each used to independently call our own shots, but then we entered into a large and integrated life in which he has the final say in everything. Each of us is now a part of his resurrection body, refreshed and sustained at one fountain, his spirit, where we all come to drink. A body isn't just a single part blown up into something huge. It's all the different but similar parts arranged and functioning together. In a few minutes, we're going to share from the Lord's table and will all come forward and you'll be offered Christ's body broken for you, his blood poured out for you. What he calls the, the blood of the new covenant until I come again. It's a promise of God that he'd bring his people out of exile. That's what that new covenant is. 
And as those of us who are in Christ receive, we do remember what God did in Christ on the cross, living a, a fully human life and, and dying on the cross for our sins and rising to newness of life. We remember a concrete historical event, the whole of God's creative and redemptive history being summed up in his, in his yes in Christ on the cross. And we also look forward, we anticipate. We look forward to our future, the new covenant when Christ shall come again, creation's freedom from exile, when we're finally reunited, raised to eternal life, when the world is judged accordingly and sin and death are finally destroyed because they've already been defeated. When we take these simple elements, we're caught up in this revolutionary resurrection life, which Jesus is the first fruits, the, the first crop of the season saying there's plenty more where that came from. Will you pray with me? Father, we thank you for including us in your son's death and in his resurrection. We thank you that we can look back and see what you've done our help in ages past. We thank you that we can look forward to what you will do, our hope for years to come. We thank you that Jesus' risen body means something for our bodies, means something tangible, means something so real, not just a good thought, but flesh and blood. Lord, bother us with that. Bother us into new modes of being, modes of discovering and respecting, developing, healing, anticipating, doing all this together. Lord, change us. Forgive us for the ways that we we live with an old mindset, an obsolete mindset, a mindset where fear and sin and scarcity rule. Change our hearts by your spirit. Raise us. Renew us. Transform us. We pray all this in your risen son's name. Amen.